Welcome to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast, where we seek to provide you the tools to preserve and promote college radio. I'm Shane Garcia, and I am yet again joined by the one and only Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin. How you doing today, Doc? I am doing well. I got my swimming in, and uh, I'm ready to go, and I'm anxious to hear what listener Mike has to say, because he is really a unique individual in the, in the college radio. Is that what they call it now, Doc? Unique? <laughs> unique. Unique. That is very true. We, listener Mike is very unique, and as he proclaims himself to be, he is a college radio superfan, especially when it comes to our home college radio station, 91.7 WIXQ in Millersville, Pennsylvania. And Mike has a very interesting story that I didn't know about. And I have a very unique connection with listener Mike. Not only was he a dedicated college radio listener for my show and many other people's shows, but he has become a mentor and he's even become my boss. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, in a way, just, just, you know, in a minor way. Yes. In, in a very minor way, but you still have some control over me. I do have to say that. <laughs> well, I've, I've wound up writing scripts, so I guess we should probably kind of um, backtrack here just to sort of explain that first point. I listen to this station frequently. I listen to the station just about every opportunity I can, matter of fact, um, both streaming and live. And I can recall, I, I absolutely can recall clear as a day driving in to work and picking up the station where I usually pick it up because, you know, it's it's a it's about halfway in on my drive to work. And I heard this, this young booming voice and my initial reaction, you know, it was between songs and my initial reaction was, my God, this guy has got a set of pipes on him. Now I should also backtrack here. I mean, I have a, my, my job is in marketing and in advertising. I, I work for a manufacturing company locally. And um, there are times in which we have to produce things like videos and getting voiceover talent for videos is always kind of something that's difficult to do. But the moment I heard that voice, I'm like, man, I think I'd like to listen to this guy more. Maybe, maybe someday get him involved in making some voiceover work. And that actually happened that very first day I heard your show. <laughs> I did not know that. That's a brand new story that I'm hearing today for the first time. No, it's true. It's it's absolutely true. So, um, and and in the fullness of time, that has happened. So, yes, that is what that is what Shane had referenced to there about that that bit about being the boss, which I'm not really the boss. I kind of just feed you scripts and you read all kinds of technical words and everything else, and you pronounce them very beautifully, and you help <laughs> us out tremendously, and I appreciate it every very very, very much. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you actually giving me some work, especially during a time where work might be hard to come by thanks to COVID-19. But Doc and I started this podcast. Uh, we, we came up with the idea during the midst of COVID. And one of our first ideas and one of the first guests that we thought about that we needed to bring on was you, because you are very valuable in the sense that you are so dedicated to this medium. And it was a must to have you on. And I know you, I remember talking to you, Doc how much we really wanted to have on Listener Mike. Yes, and I remember that conversation. So uh, as I said, I'm anxious to hear the story. I know Mike a little bit. I know his uh, family a little bit, but I want to hear more. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, uh, okay, well, it, it's interesting because we're recording this podcast on August 1st, and August 1st, 2021. 
And Shane, I'm sure you're you're aware of the significance of August 1st. This is this this was the 40th anniversary of the launch of MTV. I did not actually know that. Holy smokes, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so that's actually, and, and I didn't realize it until this morning as I was sitting there with my first cup of coffee, this kind of struck me. And that actually has a little bit to do with how I got involved with college radio. With the birth of MTV, um, it needless to say, and everyone will say this, um, everyone from my generation, it really changed everything. You know, it, it changed everything. It changed music, culture. It changed, you know, it, it just completely it was revolutionary at the time. And revolutions, as uh, Doc will probably attest, um, sometimes it leads to good things and sometimes it leads to things that are not so good. So one of the things that falls into that latter category was what happened with a lot of commercial radio is they wanted to sort of get in on a lot of the artists that were being played repeatedly on the time at the time rather on MTV. So playlists started to change and it was one thing to go on MTV and watch all of these videos. Well, all of a sudden now the, that was also taking over the airwaves and you had repetition of bands. I mean, you know, I realized the stuff, you know, uh, Cindy Lauper and Duran Duran, stuff like that. I mean, you know, they're, they're fun. You know, it's, it's, it's a product of the time. But when that type of music is the only thing you're hearing, you get kind of tired of it. And that was what was happening on a lot of commercial radio stations. So it kind of led me to sort of try and see what else was out there. Backstory, I come from a town in eastern Pennsylvania, um, Bethlehem. And uh, there is a couple of colleges around the area, the biggest of which is Lehigh University. And um, when I turned my tile to the left, as it were, which is where most college radio stations are on the old thing, they're on the left of the dial, I found this radio station. And I was immediately struck by the fact that what they would play was really kind of different than the stuff I was hearing all, all the other times. So I wound up listening to them a lot. And at the time, I think I was in ninth grade, you know, 13 years old. And I was listening to this station repeatedly and um, kept in it. I just kept listening. And in time, I wound up hearing about this thing that they started to do because shortly after I started listening was when they just got a, a, a boost. They were authorized to go uh, a higher output signal. But in order to do that, at the time, the FCC required a certain number of days per year that you had to broadcast. So in order to fill the other times, they partnered with one of their local connections, which was a guy who was running a record store on the south side of Bethlehem, just right outside of campus. And um, he put an effort forward and they sort of joined forces to form this thing called their community staff so they could broadcast enough days of the year so they could warrant having this higher output signal. And me and my friend decided that, what, hey, why don't we try and do this? It'd be kind of cool, you know, let's try and do this. Of course, we're in high school. <laughs> so I, I put my application in and wound up um, getting selected and uh, we, we did the tests and things like that and wound up having a show. And uh, the thing I didn't really figure out at the time, or I didn't realize at the time, is that you're not going to get a show in the nighttime when 
you could actually do it. I wound up with a morning show, which is fine, except for the fact that um, it happened during school hours. So I'm going to confess that I wound up, me and my buddy wound up kind of skipping school <laughs> to cover that shift. Every Thursday, we would skip school from May until the end of the semester. <laughs> At the time, they didn't realize it. I guess computers weren't that big of a thing back then, so they didn't necessarily see it. And I, I can't advocate for that nowadays. If there's any people that are listening their school age, yeah, don't do this. <laughs> but that's what I did. And uh, we wound up doing this show, and it was my first introduction. So I was doing a college radio show. At, let me see. At the time, I guess I was 15. So I, that's when I started in college radio. I remember bits and pieces of that story, but I forgot all about the fact that you had skipped school. Yep. The, the first the first actually two years, I was a morning DJ. And then as time went on, it's sort of like I wound up befriending a couple of people who were on at different times. And I had one guy that used to listen to my show at work. And actually, he wound up, he had a Saturday night show. So he invited, he liked the music I played. I mean, at, at the time, I know this sounds weird, but... At that time, you know, kind of traces back to the MTV thing. You know, the type of music I was kind of into at the time was more like uh, like your classic rock stuff. And at the time, it was pushed away. It actually kind of disappeared for the air, from the airwaves for a while. So what I did is, you know, I would play this type of music, and this guy was kind of into it. So he invited me on his show where he played this type of music. And it was a Saturday night show, 6 to 9. And it was a great slot. It was, there was a lot of people that were listening. So I wound up sort of abandoning my morning show and just going on with him on Saturday night. And you're probably aware of this. You wind up sort of talking to people that uh, wind up liking what you're doing and um, they sort of come along for the ride. So I had a friend of mine that I met through where I was working at the time and he joined us. So it was the three of us doing a show and we did that for a little bit. And then there was a guy who was on after us nine to midnight who stopped coming. He just sort of like stopped doing a show. So what we did is we wound up covering that show. Me and my friend would cover that show. So we were up there for six hours every Saturday night. And that's a long time. I got to tell you, you know, I know you have done Shane, you've done shows that are, you know, 24 hours plus. So, I mean, I know six hours is nothing compared to the stuff you've done. But um, when we started to do that, we realized, hey, not only is there a huge audience out here for this, because people would actually call in, we would get a lot of requests. And I should, I should say at this point that we sort of did more of, at that point, we did a six to nine show that sort of went into a little bit more heavy stuff. It was not necessarily classic rock. It was hard rock and what would at the time be termed as metal. Huge audience for that. And... Um, we wound up sort of doing our own show. We split off from the guy who was before up, got another friend of mine to go on with him. So we sort of formed a six hour block every Saturday night. And that's kind of the way it was. And um, on and off, I think my entire time in college radio spanned from, I did that until 1991. So I started in 1984 and stopped in 1991. And the interesting part is, yes, I was in college radio, but I never attended the college that I was on the station for. <laughs> I never, you know, it was just one of those things. I mean, I actually went to a different college. I went to um, Kutztown University, which is another college in eastern Pennsylvania, similar to Millersville. Um, but I decided not to pursue radio there because their station was kind of a smaller station and it was AM and it was kind of like, you know, 
I already do this at Lehigh and got this thing going here and I don't necessarily want to keep doing it at a smaller station. So I just wound up doing it at a college that I never went to. Now, did you look into like the logistics? Did you actually have any inkling to do another show at Kutztown or did you just kind of? No, because I mean, when at the time I was, you know, I, I was a commuting student. It was a half hour or actually more like 45 minutes away from where I lived. And it would have meant for a longer day. I was still working at the time. So it, it would have been just a little bit too much for my schedule. So I figured doing the thing over breaks over the summer was was better for me in the long run. That was away from my schoolwork and everything else. So I, I just kind of thought that that was a better fit. A lot of the DJs who may recognize your name through the request box or whatever you call into the show may not realize what background you do have in the medium. So I want to backtrack a little bit and ask you what your show name was when you were on the air and you had talked about the rock and the metal format that you had. What are some of the artists that were featured on your show? Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, you know, okay, well, first of all, the show name that we settled on for that nine to nine to 12 show was uh, Ticket to Midnight, which is a sh which is a lyric that is borrowed from a Sammy Hagar song. Uh, the song was called Heavy Metal. And um, it, we just sort of figured it was a terrific show name. And it kind of just rolled off the tongue. So it, it, it stuck with us all the time. And we used to play that as a theme song at the beginning of every show. Type of music we played. I mean, you know, we would go into your harder bands from the 70s, um, some of the stuff from the early 80s, um, you know, harder bands from the 70s. I'm thinking here Nazareth, Foghat, um, Deep Purple. And then we would kind of, we wound up, typical playlists for the show, would there would always be ACDC requests. Oh gosh, we would have tons of AC. We, we, we played a block of ACDC on every show and it was requests. The, you know, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, Scorpions at the time, you know, things like that. We would stay away from, as, as the later 80s came in, of course, you know, hair metal came in and we were really not into the hair metal scene. We were a little bit more into the harder edge stuff, you know, way more Motorhead than, than Poison. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I, I also alluded to the request. And that's the one thing I can say that we were really blessed with. I mean, we... Everything, and we used to talk about this a lot, um, we would do an all-request show, an all-request three-hour show. At the beginning, we would start it off, okay, like maybe the first three songs would be ours. But after that, we sort of let the audience take the wheel. Now, we were a little bit limited because the thing is, is I, I know now you can pretty much pull any song in, in the world and play it. At the time we didn't have that luxury. Whatever we had, we pretty much had to bring because the university didn't really supply a whole lot of material in our genre. So we would bring up record racks. I mean, the, the, the amount of records and later on CDs we would bring into that station was enormous. It would fill the back of a car. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you're taking 50 pounds worth of vinyl in the basement and actually three racks of that stuff just in case somebody would request something from one of these albums. So, yeah, that was kind of common. I can say that. We schlepped a lot of the stuff in the basement of the university center up there. <laughs> now, as you were saying, it's a lot easier today to, you know, have access to music. And I'm sure it's a lot easier to really market your, your show in terms of, like, social media and, you know, just trying to get it out there through that medium. But how did you try to build up that audience? Because you said you had a giant audience during that time. Well, it was a couple of ways. I think the very first year, I think we made 
like posters. And I think we took those posters around and we handed them around and we, we, we stuck them up in community bulletin boards and record shops and stuff. And typically people were into it. After that, we didn't do it because what happened was people would tell other people. And I think you have to go back, okay, yeah, we're talking about the 80s here. You have to realize something. What happened, what people would do on a Saturday night is probably pretty akin to what people do now, which is get together and party, okay? That's what people in that group, age group would do. In order to play music at a party, you either had to bring it on a cassette generally, or you would have to rely upon what's on the air. So if you were at a party and you had someone that was playing requests for the music that you liked, well, you probably remembered that next week. And wherever you went, you remembered, hey, there's these guys on this station here in town that they play what we want. So we wound up becoming a place that basically was like providing a soundtrack for people's parties. So a lot of it was word, like, you know, word of mouth, really. They're beyond that, you know, and it, it just sort of carried, carried around through there. So that, that's how a lot of the word got out. Now, you had a number of co-hosts throughout your Simon College radio. How important was that interaction? How did you rely upon them during your time on the air? Well, it's funny because I would always, for, well, yeah, most of the people that um, were co-hosts of mine were people who I met through my job. And my job at the time is I was working as a gas station attendant. There was always a bunch of cast of characters that would hang around gas stations. It was, you know, one of those places that guys just hung out at back in the day. You know, either people I worked with or people that would just kind of come in. The guy who was my, my first co-host was a guy that just hung around the station. You know, so we talked music and he's like, hey, you want to do this? And that's who I got with. Others were friends of mine that worked there. And that's really the connection that had provided me the hosts that kind of came with me and i'm thinking i think i probably had two or three main people that provided the co-host role um they had varying personalities and you wind up sort of playing off of whomever is with you in the studio um, i can say there were times that i was alone and i felt naked because i was so used to being with someone else to play stuff off of we were just kind of ourselves on the air. You know, that's kind of the, the thing that was really genuine. And sometimes I would sort of accentuate who I was at the time. And I wound up, I used to say, I, just, I sometimes played a little bit of a game show host, kind of like that sort of a little bit more over the top than what I am normally. And that's because the guy who I was up there with was the straight man. He was like the complete, just flat, um, just, delivering the news and he was there basically just to sort of cut me down. And so that's how we played off of each other. It was sort of like a, a little bit of digging on each other on the air. And uh, that's kind of 90% of what we did. No, I have to laugh whenever I think back to your co-host, Mike, because they had some very college radio names oh, in yeah. terms <laughs> in terms of what they were called when they were on the air. Would you be able to say what their names were? Well, yeah, I can. Um, let's see. We had, uh, well, the guy who I spoke with, uh, spoke about most is the guy who we called the Big Toe. His name was Mike. And of course, we can't have two mics on the air. So we wanted the Big Toe. And that's a nickname that was a long time coming. And if any of you people that are watching this or watching this, I should say listening to this, 
Um, remember a movie in the 80s called Stripes, you'll know where, the Bill Murray movie, you'll know where the big toe name comes from because that's kind of what this guy was. He was like the Sergeant Holka character. So he had that kind of gruff personality. Perfect name for him. Uh, then there was the uh, other guy who's, who helped us out. He was, uh, he was called The Mattress because his name was Mac. And he was big like really big, like he probably six foot four, six foot five. And I'm thinking he was probably about 280. Um, so, I mean, he was a, just a real big human being. So the name fit. Then there was another guy, um, his name, his last name was Johnson. So of course, you know, sorry to say, but his, you know, big Johnson, of course, you know, that had to be kind of like what the name was. Then. So those were kind of some of the names that we went with and um, it, it just fit. Of course, my on-air name was simply Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to laugh at that story because you have these guys with some weird and wacky names. And then you have you who you said was not that straight guy right down the middle. And then you just have a plain name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's there was I never really thought about that, but that really kind of was the way that it worked. Yeah. So you did your college radio show for a number of years. What led to its end, Mike? Pardon the pun here, but what led to you hanging up the mic for good? Well, um, I guess this is where the story kind of turns a little bit. Um the the main impetus, and it's funny because it's there's two factors. Uh, first of all, I started dating someone in 1989. And you have to start thinking about the terms of when my show actually happened. It was nine to midnight on a Saturday night. So the fact that I was going to be essentially out and away from the person I was dating, automatically written off of weekend schedule for half of the weekend, didn't play super well with that person I was dating. But I mean, you know, so that was kind of a factor, but it's all okay because I actually wound up marrying that person. So that, that you know, I guess I, I pulled it off at the end. Uh, second factor was at the end of it, we, well, okay, I think I, I just have to deal with it. The person who I mentioned before, his name was, we called him the mattress. He actually fell ill. Uh, in 1989, the summer of 89, um, and he was diagnosed with leukemia and um, battled through it and uh, wound up going into remission. And it was that way for another year. And then in the beginning of the summer of 91, he came, it came back, it came back with a vengeance. And unfortunately, he, he didn't make it through. And he passed away early in the summer of 91. So that was a really big hurdle to come across because he was a big part, although he was not necessarily a person who I did a show with every week, he was always a person that was around and he would sometimes sit in on the show. And quite frankly, he was a hilarious person to be with. I mean, just a terrific spirit, a great human being. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you, you, you try and pull it together, you pull it through and you, you kind of do it. And by the way, by this time, um, the big toe had also kind of, kind of decided that he was going to step away from it. So I was already with a different co-host. It, we all knew, all of us knew and loved that guy, the guy that passed away mattress. And, um, 
it was the, probably the hardest thing to continue to do that show over that summer. In many ways, it was almost like, I, I almost felt like I had to get through this, get across the finish line. And then at that point, just kind of decide, you know, I, I just want to complete it. I don't want to just stop. So by the end of the uh, summer, I, I, I remember just sort of being, well, I guess this is it. It's my last show and um, thank you all. And that was it. It was over. No fanfare, no big anything. It was just at that point, I just decided to hang it up. And that was the end of it. You know, that was the end. I just kind of wanted to walk away, get across the finish line. So I guess that's the reason. And that's, that's where my career ended. Especially after all those years, too, you didn't have that that extravagant goodbye that so many people kind of go out of their way to do. You just you just had enough. No, no. It, it, it's funny because I, I, I listened to um, on WIXQ. I have listened to many shows uh, through the years and I've listened to a lot of what I call the goodbye show. And it's always, a, you know, it's, it's an emotional time. Sometimes they're funny. Some, a lot of times they're very emotional. And I feel that, and it's, it's, you know, there's always a lot of work that the DJs put into capturing essentially whatever their radio career is and placing it into that slot and putting a sort of a finality on it. And it's one of those things where I tremendously respect people that do that, uh, understanding the fact that it's like, you don't necessarily know when you're doing it, if it's, you know, to be able to, to kind of like encapsulate the end is, is something that I think is tremendously valuable. And the end comes to all of us at one point or another, you decide it's the, it's over and how you decide to handle it is completely up to you, but doing it on your own terms and doing it at the end of it and being able to sort of put a bow on it, I think is really cool. And that's, that's one of those things where it's like, I didn't have that ability at the time because emotionally I wasn't there. But I'm glad to hear that you know, the, the, the people that do that, I think it's tremendously valuable. To be completely truthful here, I don't think we'd be having this conversation today if you didn't come back to college radio in some capacity after the fact. But before I ask you how you ended up getting once again involved in college radio, I think it's time that we pump the brakes here and come back for a part two where we ask you how you got involved in college radio once again and your role as listener Mike, the college radio listener. But before we do, i got to ask my co-host for permission. So, Doc, what do you think about that? I'd be great because, you know, I can't take too much information at my age, and you're, you're sort of overwhelming an old man. I want I think you should sort of do two parts to this one, Shane. What do you think? No, I agree with you, Doc. Mike has a lot of valuable stories that I know he's going to be willing to share from his time as listener Mike that have kind of stemmed from his time as a college radio DJ. Those experiences have helped him become the listener that he is today, and I'm really looking forward to this second part where he talks about his time as a listener and what fuels him to listen and support college radio. Well, I certainly agree with you, Shane. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with Scholastic Transmission by following us all across social media at College Radio Pod. And be sure to share the podcast with your friends, your family, and anybody that loves college radio. So until part two with listener Mike, for Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin and listener Mike himself, I'm Shane Garcia. Thanks for listening to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast. Class is dismissed.